Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Dr. Megan Gray. Dr. Gray is a practicing OBGYN with over 15 years of experience, as well as a mom of two littles and a wife. She was a scholar athlete in gymnastics and graduated Phi Beta Kappa from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Dr. Gray received her medical degree from the Medical University of South Carolina and then completed her OBGYN residency training at Orlando Health in Orlando, Florida. She has cared for thousands of women and delivered well over a thousand babies in her career so far, but it wasn't until she went through the postpartum experience herself that she really understood what was lacking in maternal care. While on maternity leave with her first child, she was inspired by her own experience to write her Amazon bestseller, The Forgotten Trimester, Navigating Self-Care After Birth. Dr. Gray is also the co-creator of Postpartum You, a postpartum preparation group coaching program. She's passionate about improving the experience of the fourth trimester through educating, encouraging, and empowering moms about their health and wellness after birth. In the episode, Dr. Gray shares why new moms struggle more during the postpartum period now than they did many years ago, many of the unexpected challenges they face, how any new mom can make the fourth trimester more bearable, and more. But before we hear from Dr. Gray, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you. I used to think that healthy eating meant I had to spend my entire paycheck on groceries. To be honest, I did used to spend a lot of money on food. That is until I discovered ThriveMarket.com. Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive doesn't have any brick-and-mortar locations, I can conveniently order fridge, freezer, and pantry staples in just a few quick clicks on their website or app. Then, Thrive delivers everything from 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers to organic wine right to my front door. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash thrivemarket, or just click through the link in the show notes. One more thing, while you're listening to this episode, please help me spread the word about making the fourth trimester a better experience for new moms. To do so, take a selfie when you're listening, post it to social media, Tag me at The Health Investment and let your followers and myself know your takeaways. I'll repost your post on my social media and we'll spread the word, like I said, about the fourth trimester and really get the word out there. All right, it's time to hear from Dr. Gray. Enjoy. Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Dr. Gray. Thanks so much for joining me. We were just talking about your joining me from sunny Florida for this interview. So thanks for being here. And I can't wait to hear all about this fourth trimester, which I mentioned on a walk the other day to my husband, I said, oh, next week I'm interviewing a woman about the fourth trimester. 
And he got this face and he was thinking quizzically about it. And I was like, what? He's like, well, it's funny. It's a play on words. I hadn't even really thought about that the whole trimester. He's like, there's only three in a trimester. So the fourth trimester, what does that mean? Um, But I love that idea. And I guess I've seen it more circulating social media and the internet as a female, Um, but he hadn't heard of it. So I'm excited also for any listeners who haven't heard of this idea of the fourth trimester to really dive in today and talk about as much as we can relating to that. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So first of all, can you just tell us in your own words, what led you, first of all, to become a doctor? And then secondly, I guess, to focus on this specific area of postpartum, fourth trimester, all of that stuff. Sure. So um, growing up, I always loved math and science in school. Um, And um, really, I liked helping people and taking care of people. And I was an athlete growing up. I did gymnastics and um, started at the age of four and competed all the way through college. Um, And as a college student, I enjoyed helping take care of my teammates' um, injuries. So um, I would sit with our physical therapist um, that was on our staff at the at the at the school and help um, tape ankles and stretch um, my teammates and learn different techniques on strengthening methods. to protect bones and joints, and really just enjoyed the aspect of um, helping people preventative and also helping when they're injured. So um, initially thought I was going to do physical therapy, um, but the our, our sports trainer, who's a physical therapist at the time, when they not all of them had to have PhDs. He was a PhD, so I really had this like fond thought of him. Um, he really suggested, you know, you might want to try med school. I think you would prefer that over physical therapy. So I um, did some research and decided, well, that's what I'm going to do. And so went into medical school actually thinking I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon because I wanted to um, take care of athletes. Um, And then in med school, I got to do all kinds of different rotations um, in different fields of medicine and realized that perhaps my personality did not quite fit into orthopedic surgery, but really enjoyed um, my obstetric rotation. I mean, that first baby you get to deliver as a medical student is pretty amazing. Um, So I really kind of just fell into that. And um, so then went and trained in OBGYN. And I have a particular interest in obstetrics. Um, I enjoy taking care of women. during pregnancy and postpartum, and of of course, labor and delivery as well. Um, But this whole idea of the fourth trimester, I didn't really get involved until about five years ago. Um, And the reason why I realized that um, the fourth trimester was so important is because I had my first child. Um, So I was an older mom. I chose to wait until I had completed medical school residency um, and then had been in practice for several years before um, getting pregnant. And so I was in my late 30s and um, I had my son and holy cow, the postpartum period is extremely hard. And I thought to myself, why haven't my patients ever told me how hard this is? And, um, and I thought, well, if I'm feeling this way and I'm having this, this much trouble um, navigating this period of time, what have all my pa- patients been doing? You know, they don't have the, the knowledge that I have. They don't have the experience of working with other people that I have. Um, I, and so I felt like I had been failing all these patients for all these years without even realizing it. In our training as an OBGYN, we don't get a whole lot of, um, there's not a, 
a huge emphasis on the postpartum period. Um, so you carry that forward in your practice and it's not really until you experience your, it yourself that you realize, wow, this um, really deems way more support than what we give it. Um, so I was on maternity leave with my um, first child and decided I needed to do something right then and there. I was just that flabbergasted with with how things had been transpiring. Um, so I actually wrote a little self-help manual that I was going to start handing out to my patients that was all about navigating self-care in the postpartum period. Um, and I was talking um, to one of my classmates from medical school uh, about it, and she suggested, well, why not publish that? You know, why just stop with your patients? Why not allow that information to be um, disseminated amongst a bunch of people? So with her help, um, I actually um, published that book um, so that to give some women some guidance on self-care in the um, postpartum period. And since then, I have been working on trying to make the postpartum period experience um, better um, in different modalities. Um, I have been doing some some work with the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Um, I have um, created a postpartum um, prepare, preparation uh, class. Um, and I do have an Instagram feed that provides a ton of information and um, support for women in the fourth trimester. So um, I am excited and passionate about this period of time. I think it's gone... Um, overlooked for way too long and it's time to make a change. That's so fascinating. Uh, I don't have kids yet and I, so many of my friends and family members do. So I've heard little glimpses here and there um, about pregnancy and birth and then the postpartum period. And I joke that every time I talk to somebody who's pregnant or has given birth or in that fourth trimester, I learn something completely new and sometimes terrifying. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess I am a very inquisitive person, hence this podcast, um, and kind of an open book. So people will tell me a lot. And it's kind of like, whoa, I don't know if I wanted to know that yet. You know, is that something you should just wait to <laughs> go through? <laughs> yeah, TMI. Um, but I, I guess I thought, I don't know about you know, other people, but I almost think that that time seems more difficult than being pregnant or maybe not for all women. Some women I know have very challenging pregnancies, but from a lot of friends I've heard, maybe they didn't even know that was coming, like you said, and maybe that adds to why it's so difficult because it kind of hits them when they think, oh, it should be this beautiful time because I have my baby. So do you find that women actually not all women, but several women struggle more during that postpartum period than even during pregnancy? Yes, I would say a lot of women struggle in the fourth trimester, and it's very unexpected. I think as a society, and certainly in the medical field, we, we build up pregnancy and labor and delivery so much, and there's so much... Um, education and support um, that is involved around that time period. And it's just, and then after the baby's born, it becomes all about the baby. And we kind of just forget about mom. And it's just like, here's your baby. Congratulations. Good luck. Figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, it's almost like we've left it up to this, like this supposed instinct that, we expect every woman to have on how to to navigate this period of time um, where they're become you know they they're going from the single person to a mother nurturing a newborn. Um, so yeah, I think that a lot of women will fall in line with what society and the medical field is kind of just taken this period of time for granted. Um, 
when in reality, I mean, I think the first trimester and the fourth trimester, the hardest trimesters, I think the first trimester is challenging because physically it's just not a fun time. And then the fourth trimester is challenging because there's so many changes going on um, physically, mentally, emotionally, all while you're trying to learn about this new person in your life and trying to keep it alive. Um, so there's so much involved in the fourth trimester that, and we just, we don't, we don't mention it. Um, I mean, I know as a physician, um, I spent an overwhelming majority of the time talking about pregnancy, labor, and delivery, um, and then hitting on some of the major complications that can occur in the postpartum period. But did not mention anything about, you know, all the other changes that occur in the postpartum period. Yeah. So I'd love to tackle some of those things. What are some of the challenges that most moms expect and prepare for in the fourth trimester, either because a doctor has kind of told them that these things could happen, or maybe they're more commonly known? So I would say probably, um, one of the aspects that I think is has more more emphasis on it is postpartum mood disorders, and luckily it's it's gaining more and more attention, which it should. Um, but I think more women are uh, aware of postpartum mood disorders, like postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, um, but. On the same level or in that same aspect, they may not be prepared for the normal postpartum overwhelm, that feeling of just complete overwhelm due to the way we think about the circumstances associated with the postpartum period. Um, so just because you're overwhelmed doesn't mean that you're having abnormal feelings. So these feelings that may feel abnormal because you may not have experienced them before could potentially be so normal in this postpartum period. And trying to delineate between what's normal and what needs to be evaluated and managed um, mm. can be difficult for women in the fourth trimester. I think most women are prepared, at least mentally, for that sleeplessness. Now, I don't think physically you can ever prepare for it until you actually are in it. Um, Cause I honestly, I was like, I got this. I mean, I've spent the past 10 years of my life being up in the middle of the night, up and down, up and down, delivering babies. I, I, this is like, this is gonna be a piece of cake. Yeah, I've trained for it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been training for it for all this time. And it was so hard. It was so hard. It's such a different, it's hard to, put it into words, but it's different when it's your child and you're managing and, and there's so many more emotions involved. Um, and there's no break. You're, you're getting up throughout the night and then you have to be up throughout the day. And there's, so you, you don't get that time to necessarily rest for six to eight hours. Um, so I think mentally women are totally aware that, yeah, I'm going to be up at night, but I think the degree of, um, fatigue and sleeplessness that is, um, that is a curse for a lot of women, um, especially breastfeeding women, um, may, may be hard to wrap your mind around, um, beforehand. Mm. Um, I think the idea of having identity changes, um, and, um, changing responsibilities most women are totally aware of but when you get down to the actual emotion of I am no longer just me I am me plus um or I am no longer just um working at xyz and coming home I have all these other responsibilities that um that come with this little baby that I'm that I brought home with me. So, um, the logistics of all of that is, is, a, I think a lot larger than women expect most of the time. I think there's these, these ideas of, well, we have an idea of X, Y, and Z is going to change, but what does it really look like? And sometimes it's hard to get an idea of that until you're in, in the thick of it. 
Um, so I think those are pretty common. Now, as far as like the physical changes in the postpartum period, you know, bleeding, discomfort, um, cramping, I would say most women have an idea that there is going to be a degree of discomfort. Um, a lot of my patients are super surprised that they still have uterine contractions after delivery, a day or two after delivery. Um, and that's very, very normal. It's actually our body being very smart and doing things that, that, um, need to be done to stay, um, healthy. Um, but, um, I think a majority of women do recognize that there is going to be some discomfort after, after delivery. So I think those would be the most common things that women have an idea of, um, what to expect, but the, the degree of, of what to expect may be different, um, than what they realize. Mm -hmm. So then what are some of the biggest unexpected challenges that they face in those first three months? Um, I, I would say one of the most common complaints or, or concerns that women raise um, in those first three months is breastfeeding. Um, mm -hmm. There has been this huge shift um, in, in how we nourish newborns from, you know, there was an entire generation of, of children brought up on formula. Um, and then we've, we've had this campaign of breast is best, um, that has shifted the pendulum way over to, um, make women believe that that's the only way. So we have this very black and white thinking that either you breastfeed or you fail. Um, so I think it's, it's kind of changed the way women view breastfeeding, um, and created this, this thought process of if, I, if I don't breastfeed for every feeding which so exclusively breastfeed, then I have failed. Um, so I think women have a hard time with, with wrapping their brains around the fact that, um, it's not an all or nothing thing. Um, and that breastfeeding is very hard. It's time consuming. It is a learned process. Um, it is, it's not just baby, it's mom. So there's this dyad component between, um, mom and baby. Um, so both, uh, pieces of the dyad have to learn together and not all women can breastfeed and not all babies can breastfeed. So we, we've, we've, um, set this tone of breast is best. Um, but I would argue that perhaps the tone needs to be breast is ideal, but fed is best. Mm -hmm. Um, so that we have not, we're not setting women up for, um, emotional, and mental failure around breastfeeding. Um, because I think that stressor um, becomes an issue in maternal mental health in the postpartum period. Um, so most women think that because breastfeeding is natural, that it's going to be easy. And I'm one, I, I can say I was one of those. I just assumed that because it's natural and breath quote breast is best, it's going to be easy. And it was, I, I found it very challenging. Um, mm. so I think the whole breastfeeding culture, we need to do better in educating women, um, and supporting women through the process and, um, not putting so much pressure on women to, um, exclusively breastfeed. Right. Yeah. That's something I've heard from I think every single close friend or family member I have about an unexpected challenge, like you said, that they think, oh, baby's born and you breastfeed, but that is not at all how it ends up happening. And oftentimes they hire some form of lactation consultant and get support or decide, you know, this is too stressful and it's not right for me at this point because of my mental health. Um, so, you know, you have to you have to look out for yourself. But I think, like you said, when there's all these slogans going around of breast is best, you probably feel just absolutely terrible if you are trying to just hold it together and show up for your baby and you're exhausted and you're giving them formula, but then you're being told 
essentially you're failing, you know, just by not doing this one thing. I mean, I can't even imagine. Um, would you say, so when babies used to be, let's say exclusively breastfed, was it easier because there was more of kind of a community surrounding the mother after birth? Has that really changed now? And like the rest of our world is, or especially in the United States, women then are kind of just left. Maybe they have a partner, but it's kind of a more individualized thing and sort of a figure it out. And then you seek out a lactation consultant or, you know, you kind of have to seek out help yourself. I'm just kind of wondering if the fourth trimester, I guess, has ever been viewed differently in this country or how it's viewed in other countries. And do women get more support, which makes things like breastfeeding easier because you have a community kind of teaching you and helping you. So yes, I would, I would say that, um, other societies, um, are better at supporting women in the fourth trimester. Um, the, the, um, focus is not necessarily the baby. It's actually the mom, um, because they recognize that a, mom that is transitioning well into motherhood will make for a, a healthier baby. Mm. Um, so in a lot of other cultures, they live in villages. The women tend to um, um, gather around each other and support each other and support the women that have just delivered. So the older generations support the younger generations, the, the sisters, the cousins, the aunts, all kind of come around this woman that has just delivered and provide support. Um, I think our culture has has shifted and, and has continued to shift oh, probably since the probably the 60s and 70s away from this village model to more of this individualist model. Um, and we certainly live much more spread out. We um, do things as individuals, you know, the advent of the internet and social media. While we can connect easier, we're still physically not together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think uh, women feel a little more isolated um, and less supported than they did maybe 60, 70 years ago. Um, and I think there's a lot uh, more responsibilities of women now than you know a hundred years ago. We um, we have we've had a, a, a great thing happen, which was the feminist movement, which has allowed women to to exceed what women were doing a hundred years ago. And we have women as CEOs and a vice president and all these wonderful, wonderful things. But we also have left moms kind of out of this loop. Um, And I think the push for um, success as a woman has come at a cost to the support of mothers. Um, and even whether you're a, a working mom or a stay-at-home mom, um, I think we we haven't we no longer value that fourth trimester and that that support of a woman transitioning from a a, a single person to a mother um, as well as we used to and certainly not as well as some other uh, societies do. Right. Uh, you brought up the postpartum, postpartum mood disorders, which I think, like you said, it's great. They've gotten so much more kind of traction and there's so much more awareness around that. Um, what is there a certain percentage of women who struggle from, like you said, postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety? Is it the majority of women or is it the minor- minority? So the research shows that it's about one in seven women will have a postpartum mood disorder, whether it's postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, postpartum PTSD, postpartum obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, 
and it's about one in one in five women that will have specifically postpartum depression. So it's very common. Um, I think it goes un, probably underreported, so it may be higher than that, and it definitely goes um, underdiagnosed and undertreated. Um, so, and there, the, the reasoning behind that is probably multifactorial. A lot of women don't recognize the symptoms because a lot of the symptoms are similar to normal postpartum symptoms. Um, there is probably some fear in reporting some of these symptoms, fear of ridicule, fear of, um, you know, failure. Um, so there's this, in general, there's a stigma of um, mental health in, in our culture, but even more so probably for um, postpartum women, because I think our society puts pressure on these women to be blissfully happy once their baby mm -hmm. is delivered. And that's not necessarily the reality. You can be blissfully unhappy and still not have a diagnosed um postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, it's just kind of a normal phase of the ups and downs of, of postpartum. So um, the, the access to care and the stigma around mental health in general kind of has a negative impact on who, uh, what women seek care for postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, and the other less common um, postpartum mood disorders like postpartum um, obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm. I think another area that is kind of gaining more awareness is rehab of the pelvic floor. Can you kind of touch on that? Do you recommend that all women seek some type of professional help or pelvic floor therapy post-birth, or is it just a certain woman who's gone through certain things. What is, what is that world? <laughs> well, it would be so great if every woman had access to a, mm. a pelvic floor physical therapist after um, delivery. So here's the, here's the reality. So um, you've spent up to 41 weeks pregnant. The pelvic floor is like a, um, as a bowl with the bottom of the bowl being muscles holding up this enlarged uterus with this baby that can weigh, you know, anywhere from six to 10 pounds, even upwards of that. Um, plus all the pressure that your abdominal organs place on that pelvic floor. And then, um, add in gravity and walking and running and jumping, it really puts stress on that, um, on that pelvic floor. And also it puts stress on the rest of the pelvis. The pelvis is um, made up of a bunch of different bones that are connected with um, ligaments. And those ligaments um, during pregnancy relax um, because of a hormone that your body produces called relaxin um, to accommodate for the the baby's head um, to in the body to come through the pelvis and deliver. Um, so there's a lots of changes just in the pelvis, muscle wise, bone wise, joint wise. Um, so it's the equivalent of um, you know an athlete exercising, working out. Most endurance athletes or um, uh, High-level athletes have an athletic trainer. They have a physical therapist. They go to um, massage. They go do um, weight training. All of this stuff to help support their bones, joints, ligaments, tendons. Um, but we are not doing that for women who are experiencing all these changes. Um, and then not to mention you then labor for hours on end and then you push a, you know, a baby out, um, if, if, or have a cesarean section. So, you know, we rehab knees when people have knee surgery, we rehab shoulders when people have shoulder surgery, we rehab patients when they have heart surgery, but we don't rehab women's pelvic floors when they've just delivered a 10 pound baby. It, it doesn't really make sense. Um, so it would be fantastic if every woman that had a delivery, whether it was a C-section or a vaginal delivery, um, had access to a a pelvic floor physical therapist. Now, not everybody's going to necessarily notice um, 
problems from their delivery or their pregnancy. Um, but I bet you if you sat women down um, and really asked them pointed questions, you may find out that more women suffer for problems um, after pregnancy than um, what is reported. Um, we Once again, this is one of those things we just haven't focused on because we haven't put a big focus on the postpartum period. But, um, you know, women that say they they have leakage of urine when they cough, laugh, sneeze in their 30s and 40s because they had three babies. Well, that's not that's not normal. That's not OK. Um, but we've kind of just told women to just deal with it. You know, it's mm. just well, it's just part of what what happens. Um, so pelvic floor physical therapists are awesome. They're amazing. They can do amazing things. They have all kinds of different techniques that they use to help stretch and strengthen the pelvic muscles, the, um, realign the joints and the bones. Um, they use biofeedback mechanisms. They have all kinds of techniques that they use. I particularly would suggest women that have had large vaginal tears during their vaginal deliveries or women that pushed for long periods of time um, or certainly women that have had c-sections all of those women should probably be evaluated by a pelvic floor physical therapist if they have um, the opportunity to do that um, i think it would be helpful as they mature through life um, and it, not necessarily because you've recognized a true problem, but just like with a, an athlete, if you help work with, you know, the bones and joints, you make them more efficient. The same thing with the pelvic floor and the pelvis um, and the abdominal wall. So I think hopefully as this gains more traction, um, pelvic floor physical therapy will be more integrated into postpartum care over the next few years. Right. I've heard another unexpected challenge is that couples can really struggle in those first months and beyond, but obviously your entire relationship changes because now there's another human in the picture keeping you up all night. You're both sleep deprived what advice do you have for couples in the postpartum time? So um, for people that are preparing for postpartum, I, I definitely think you guys, the, the couple needs to sit down and kind of take an inventory on how they communicate best with, with each other, um, especially in times of, of um, heightened emotion. So worry, stress, tired, angry, sad, how do you guys best communicate with each other? If you can develop simple phrases to use to communicate with each other, um, when you are at the height of those em emotions, that helps to avoid confusion, misinterpretation, frustration. Um, talking is so, so important. So keeping those lines of communication open, um, making a habit of having like a scheduled check-in where the two of you come together, whether it's two minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes, whatever you can figure out will work in your schedule where you come together and you just listen to each other and talk and, and express your emotions, express, you know, what you're feeling so that you guys can understand each other, where you're, where each other are coming from. Um, it definitely needs to happen on a regular basis. You can't go, you know, five weeks and say, okay, let's check in. I think it, it would be best to be done at least on a weekly basis. Um, and then maybe scheduling some time to, to be intimate with each other, not necessarily meaning sex, Periods of times where you can just focus on each other, if it's just holding hands while you talk or laying with each other an extra five minutes before you get up in the morning um, or taking a walk, any kind of physical contact, it doesn't have to be sexual physical contact, helps to center um, 
center you, each other uh, around each other um, and ground each other um, and, and connect in a, in a, on a deeper level, both physically and emotionally. So I, I, I think the, the bottom line is, is, is keeping the lines of communication open and being willing to listen and take a moment to understand each other's point of views. Um, I think we sometimes get so tunnel visioned with what we're experiencing and how we're feeling that we forget that our partner might be struggling as well. Um, or they may be doing okay and may be able to provide even more support, but they just don't know that you're struggling or where you need support. So keeping those line of communication open and, and knowing how to communicate with each other, your needs, um, and your emotions and your feelings in a way that is not confusing or can be misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Do women generally need to eat differently in the fourth trimester than they did during pregnancy or before pregnancy? For example, especially if they're breastfeeding or is it kind of just same nutrition rules apply? So very similar nutrition rules apply. I mean, um, a very well-balanced diet is ideal. It's it's hard to do those first couple of weeks because you're you're um, balancing a bunch of different things. But um, you know, a, a well-balanced diet full of pro- lean proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, you should be getting about. 1,800 to 2,200 calories a day, depending on your weight, of course. Um, And um, you shouldn't be restricting food, especially if you are breastfeeding. Um, You should be eating um, well-balanced and not eating for weight loss or prevention of weight gain. Um, your your sole focus in the first couple months after delivery, if you're breastfeeding, is just healthy eating habits, um, and you know that is that, and it aligns with the healthy eating habits by, that the um, CDC recommends, um, WHO recommends. Um, there's no particular foods that you need to eat, um, any differently than what you were eating during pregnancy. Um, it's, it's really similar, just well-balanced fruits, vegetables, lean meats. If you're not a a meat eater, plant, plant-based proteins. Um, one, one, um, vitamin that we kind of touch on, but, but, um, is very important in the whole breastfeeding thing is vitamin D. Um, most uh, prenatal vitamins will have vitamin D in it. Um, there are a few postnatal vitamins out now, which is pretty cool, um, that have been developed that are specifically formulated for the needs of the postpartum mom. And the one one of the differences is vitamin D and the amount of vitamin D. So. Most breastfeeding women will have to supplement their newborn with uh, vitamin D. And it's not because breast milk is deficient in vitamin D. It's because mommy's diet is deficient in enough vitamin D to pass along into the breast milk. So there's actually been some research done recently um, that suggests that if we increase the amount of vitamin D in mommy's diet, uh, either by supplement or just eating um, foods rich in vitamin D, that um, we no longer need to supplement the the breast milk with vitamin D. So 6,000 units or greater I use of uh, vitamin D or greater um, have been shown to be enough to increase the amount of vitamin D in breast milk so that you do not have to supplement. Um, so that is, that's exciting news because that vitamin D drop that you have to give the baby is just one more thing um, to do <laughs> in, <laughs> right. in the whole postpartum period. Um, so, but otherwise, um, you know, the general recommendations that most people are very aware of as far as um, healthy eating habits, you know, avoiding foods high in sugar, um, foods that are 
super processed, um, really sticking to um, whole grains and lots of fruits and vegetables and um, the lean meats or the plant-based proteins. Awesome. Well, I ask each of my guests a final question and feel free to take it in terms of the fourth trimester or however you want. Uh, but it, the question is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? In my thought about health investing is um, investing in yourself to become the best version of yourself by choosing to make your physical, mental, and emotional well-being a priority. Hmm. I love that. And I love that you added on the emotional and mental part as well, because especially in the postpartum period, as we've heard, those should not be neglected. It shouldn't just be all about, as you said, the physical things women prepare for. But, you know, it. what I've heard, kind of my takeaway is just sort of like lining up a support team as best you can. And if you have a partner on board, just like you said, the communication and having just really trying to build, I guess, kind of that village around you that used to exist and that still does exist in some countries already. And I'm checking off in my head, you know, lining up a lactation consultant if you can, or maybe even if you and your partner see a therapist, maybe scheduling a session or two in advance before you have the baby to kind of meet and talk some things out. Um, or the pelvic floor therapist, like you said. So you make such a good point, And I see this as well of people preparing for the labor and delivery process and taking all those courses. And obviously it's harder to fit in time once you have the baby. And especially if you have other kids running around at that time as well. Uh, but I just, I guess the word that keeps ringing in my mind is just support Yes, and just not feeling weak to ask for support and just really seeing that as a sign of strength. And the more supported you are, the better you can show up for your baby. That is Absolutely right. You you hit the nail on the head with all that. So I tell women to start creating a postpartum plan during pregnancy. Identify your postpartum team members, whether they're professionals, like you said, a pelvic floor physical therapist, a lactation consultant, uh, a licensed mental health therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, um, your OBGYN or midwife, your pediatrician, and then other support staff like a, um, a massage therapist, a night nurse, a postpartum doula, a postpartum coach, um, then also aligning your friends and family that are willing to help you in that whole team and assigning them um, roles in this mm. whole postpartum experience um, is so, so helpful um, for that transition time and navigating that period of time. Um, and like you said, the four trimester feels hard, not because you are failing, but because it really is just hard. Um, mm -hmm. And reaching out for help does not mean you are weak. It actually is a sign of strength. So um, there are a lot of people out there that are willing and waiting to help women. Um, and it's just a matter of just reaching out for help. And certainly for those that are listening that know women that are in pregnancy or getting ready to deliver or in that postpartum period, if you have the ability to reach out and help, just help. They don't need advice. They just need physical help. So make them a meal, go grocery shopping for them, come clean their house, come clean their pump parts, come watch the baby so they can shower. Um, all of those things are super helpful for a mom who's there by herself trying to navigate all of this. I think that's so good, kind of what you just laid out there. Because um, one thing you didn't really say about helping is hold the baby, which one of my friends just told me she kind of had to have a discussion with her parents who came to help. But they just wanted to keep holding the baby and were trying to be helpful that way. And she was like, I really just need you to clean my house and like cook me some food. 
and I've got to hold the baby right now. You know, the baby's doing skin to skin or is breastfeeding. You are very useful in all of these other avenues. But I think I've even thought that sometimes, you know, you're excited to see a new baby and you want to hold the baby and you think that might be helpful, but probably not as helpful as some of those other things. Right. You're absolutely right. Where can listeners follow and find you? So everything I have is um, uh, Forgotten Trimester. So the website is www.forgottentrimester.com. The Instagram handle is at Forgotten Trimester. And then Facebook is actually my name, Megan Piper Gray, MD. Um, and, um, yeah, we are, I'm super excited. I've collaborated with one, a fellow physician who's actually a pediatrician. So we are kind of, um, tackling it from both aspects. We believe in the importance of, um, the maternal child dyad. So we have created a, um, postpartum preparation group coaching course. It is called Postpartum You, and um, we have had some great success with it so far, um, and we're super excited about it, and it provides all kinds of information. Um, it's an eight-week course um, with um, interactive coaching calls as well as home modules to do at home, and it, we hit on everything from relationships to creating and developing a postpartum plan to um, finding your postpartum team, breastfeeding, um, physical recovery from uh, labor and delivery. So we we touch on all of the things that most women struggle with, um, but we're trying to get them before they deliver so that they're well prepared. Oh, wow. I love that. That seems like just the absolute best resource. I'd say one of the best ones I've heard so far on the podcast. So I will definitely put links to all of your social media, your website, and to postpartum you in the show notes. And I just want to thank you so much again for sharing all of this valuable information and your time with us. I, like I said, every time I speak to somebody about anything relating to pregnancy, I learn a lot. And that was no exception today. And I'm just very grateful to have had you on. Thanks so much, Dr. Gray. Uh, Brooke, thank you so much. And thank you for your interest in this topic. This is awesome. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.